Our reading is taken from chapter 6 of Judges, verses 11 to 24, and that can be found on page 248. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Abiziarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he explained, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Oprah of the Abyssalites. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, so today we're um, continuing our series on Gideon. Uh, Gideon, loving God, living his adventure. And last week, as I'm sure you remember if you were here, we heard from Tim about how Gideon and the Israelites cried out to God from the depths of despair. They were hiding in caves and mountains. They were exploited. They were marginalized. They were fearful. And we saw how honesty and humility can lead to change and can give us strength to face our enemies and courageously serve God. And this week, we're going to begin to see how Gideon was met by God, still in that place of fear, and recognized God's call on his life. But unusually today, I thought I'd start off with a joke, mainly because I thought anything I come up with cannot be worse than one of Tim's. Um, now, it, uh, you've probably heard this because it's quite old. It's rained for days and days, and there was a terrific flood. The waters rose so high 
that one man was forced to climb up on the top of his roof and sat in the rain. As the waters came up higher and higher, a man in the boat came to, uh, to the house and told him to get in. No, thank you, he says. The Lord will save me. And the man in the boat went away. The waters rose up to the edge of the roof, and still the man sat on the roof until another boat came by, and another man told him to, to get in. No, thank you, the man says. The Lord will save me. And the man went away. The waters now covered the house. They were up to the tip of the roof, and the man was on the chimney as the rain poured down, and a helicopter came by. And another man urged him to get in, or he'll drown. No, thank you, the man said. The Lord will save me. After much begging and pleading, the man in the helicopter gave up and flew away. The waters rose above the chimney, and the man drowned and went to heaven, where he met God. Lord, I don't understand, he said, frustrated. The waters rose higher and higher, and I waited hours for you to save me, but you didn't. Why? The Lord just shook his head and said, what are you talking about? I sent two boats and a helicopter. What more do you want? I was, oh, come on, that was, I'm sure it was better than that. <laughs> so how quickly do you recognize when God has met or spoken to you or called you? If you're anything like me, it would take a lot more than a couple of boats and a helicopter. Normally I need some sort of massive speaker system, flashing lights and sirens, a bit like uh, this scene from Evan Almighty, if you've ever seen it. So this morning, we're going to spend some time looking at how Gideon came to recognize the call and how that will help us both corporately and individually find our place in the vision that God is revealing to us as a church. We should just start by praying. Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning about how you met Gideon, how you called Gideon, Father, would you help us to learn from it and to see how you are meeting us, how you are calling us. Amen. So at the start of this passage, we find Gideon in the wine press threshing wheat. This is where we left him and the Israelites last week. He's still hiding, fearful and scared. He's afraid that the marauding Midianites may come and steal the small amount of grain that he had. Now, threshing was normally done out in the open valleys. I think you can see a picture of a, a threshing floor there, where the breeze would help with separating the wheat and the chaff. However, here's Gideon hiding in the wine press, a deep structure. I think we move on to the next one. Yeah, deep structure, away from the wind. Very difficult to thresh wheat there. They're not really the optimal venue for threshing wheat. And we can see that Gideon was living in a time of poverty. He was threshing his wheat by hand, not with the help of animals. So he had just such a small amount of wheat to thresh. We can see that it's a time of persecution by the Midianites. We've heard about that last week. And it's also a time of powerless, powerlessness, both for him and the Israelites. And you can see the parallels between the time of Gideon there and, and today. There are many people in this town living with very real fear of poverty. We can regularly hear stories of hostility towards Christians. And we're living in the times when sometimes it can appear the church appears spiritually impotent 
to the needs around it. And that's the background to the portion of Gideon's story that we're looking at today. So this morning, we're going to try and look at three main themes that I hope will see us, help us to see where we may fit in to God's plan for us as a church and individually. And we're going to look at where God meets Gideon. We're going to look at how God meets Gideon. And we're going to see what Gideon does about it. So we probably all have our favorite places, places where we find it easy to meet with God, places where we are awestruck by his presence. For me, it would probably be at the top of a snowy mountain, preferably with two skis strapped to my feet and with uh, Andy Horton alongside me, taking me down somewhere where we'll get lost at some point or other, I'm sure. Um, But if that was the only place that I met with God, I'd be limiting God to meeting me a few days every year or two. But there are places as well where I'd least expect to hear from God at the gym in the middle of a combat session or at a very boring meeting at work. As we heard, Gideon was hiding away in the winepress, a place and a time where God was quite possibly far from his mind. I would guess he wasn't expecting to meet anyone. That's why he was in the winepress. Least of all, the angel of God. He isn't in one of his favorite places, I don't expect. He's not meeting with his fellow believers. No, here he is at work. Yes, he's hiding, scared and fearful. But it's as much about the fact that this encounter takes place while he is working that's important. In the past, I often think we've fallen into the trap of separating our work from our Christian life. Separating the sacred and the secular. Work for many of us is where we spend probably 50% of our waking hours, sometimes more. Yet very often, the church has failed to engage with that part of our life. We spend lots of time and energy praying and supporting those who may be going on mission abroad. Though I I believe it's very good to do that, but hardly ever mention the place where most of us can be most effective as missionaries. As many of you know, I'm a street pastor, and once a month I spend four or five hours in the middle of a Saturday night walking around Shrewsbury, speaking to and helping those enjoying the nighttime economy. However, I spend 30 to 40 times that every month sat at my desk in my office. Now, many of you, I expect, have quite a good idea what my role as a street pastor entails, or the things that I do here as part of Christchurch. But how many of you know what I get up to 8 o'clock to 5.30, Monday to Friday? How much do I know about what you do, middle of the week? God is interested in our work because he's interested in our whole life. Mark Green from the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity wrote a great little booklet called The Great Divide about this whole issue and uh, of the sacred-secular divide. And we read this PCC a couple of years ago. And as part of that, he talks about this idea of whole life mission. Our mission is not just about where we live or where we go to church. It's also, and possibly much more, about where we work, about what we do Monday to Friday, 9 till 5, or whatever shifts anyone else works. Our traditional image of church and inviting people to events here tends to fall down when we may work 10 50, 100 miles away from the parish. So if God meets Gideon in the wine press where he is on his own, beavering away at threshing wheat, 
then he can also meet with me when I'm sat at my desk, sweating over spreadsheets or budgets or doctor's rotors. He can meet with you as you're sat in the staff room with that well-earned cup of tea after attempting to teach 30 teenagers about Pythagoras. Or he can meet with you as you're serving customers at the till in Sainsbury's. Or he can meet with you as you're going about whatever you do Monday to Friday. And I think Paul says this very clearly in Romans 12. And it's one of, my, one of the verses I sort of love to read whenever I'm thinking about this sort of stuff, particularly when I read it from the message. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, in the message says, So here, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Let us treat our everyday life as the focus of our mission, as the focus of the place that we can most readily meet with God, that we are most readily available to meet with God. And one other thing we can see from the where of this encounter is that Gideon, he was clearly afraid and hiding. But God meets him, despite the fact that he's hiding. He seeks him out. And God is able to find us and seek us out, wherever we are, whatever our circumstances. However much sometimes we try to hide from him. He'll find us, he'll meet with us, and he calls us. Now one of the biggest things about this passage is the, what the angel calls Gideon. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Does Gideon look much like a mighty warrior hiding away in the wine press? To most people, he probably looked like a, a wimpy thresher than a mighty warrior. And this is what Gideon says of himself. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So here we have God calling the least of the least, the lowest of the low as he saw himself and telling him that he's going to save the nation from the Midianites. Gideon was a small man from a small family, living in fear and disobedience. But God gave Gideon a new identity. He's a mighty warrior because God says he's a mighty warrior, regardless of what his family or other tribes or his enemies or he thinks and says. And there are so many examples through the Bible of similar callings, Callings where you, you just can't put the two together. God calls Abraham to be the father of many nations, despite the fact that he's childless and old. God calls Moses the deliverer of Israel, despite the fact that he was in the desert, hiding from manslaughter charges. Jesus calls Peter the rock upon which he would build his church, despite the fact he's possibly the least consistent of his disciples and would deny him three times. What does God say about us? What aspirational name does he have for you and me? What aspirational name does he have for Christchurch? We often focus and focus too much on what society has to say about us. But it's time to focus on what God has to say about us. Time to focus on the aspirational names that he's giving us. And sometimes God's call can seem like scaling an impossible mountain, particularly when you've been given that aspirational name. How am I going to get there, God? And I suspect that's how Gideon felt 
when he was told that he would save Israel from Midian. How on earth is that going to happen? Gideon feels that he has none of the skills or the gifts that's needed to live out this amazing call. And maybe that's how you feel. God is calling you to do something, whatever that might be. But you may feel as though you're completely unable to do it. You don't have the skills or the gifts to do it. And that's just how Gideon felt. So what did he do about it? After trying to get his head around the fact that it's him that has been called, that he will be the mighty warrior that God described, it's time for him to do something about it. Gideon has been reminded that he's been fighting in his own strength. And he needs to be going out in the strength of the Lord. He's unsure and tests the call. Does this mean he's being skeptical? I don't think so. He's in need of reassurance that this is God that is calling him. And then there comes a realization that he's face to face with the angel of the Lord. If we're trying to discern God's call for us, then we also need to test that call. It may be by talking and praying with a trusted mentor or leader. It may be by just getting on with a task and giving God time and space to direct and guide us. As Gideon found out, it's also important to put a marker in the sand and say, this is the moment that I heard God's call. This is what I'm doing about it. Gideon did it by being an alt- building an altar. We can do it in all sorts of different ways. But one thing you notice Gideon doesn't do is spend lots of time reflecting on what God has said to him. Once he's discovered that it's God's call, he does something about it. If you're anything like me, you can sometimes try and make excuses for not doing the things that you've been called to do. Excuses range from, I'm not good enough, to, I'm too busy, and everything else in between. If God thought we were too busy doing what he wanted us to do, or didn't have the capability to do what he was calling us to, then I'm not sure what he would call us to do that thing. He gives us the gifts to live out the call that he's giving us. But we need to make time for him to work in our lives. So having heard and learnt more about, what, about how Gideon met with God and began to love God and live his adventure, the real question is, what about us? What about us as individuals? What about us as a community of believers? What are we going to do about it? Now, there are three very clear things that Gideon did. First of all, he laid down his own agendas. Once he'd heard God's call, he stopped the questioning, stopped the threshing, and as we'll hear in the coming weeks, got on with living God's adventure. What agendas or preconceived ideas about God's call have you got that you need to lay down? Make time to listen to God so that we can hear the way that he wants to lead us. Secondly, he accepted his new identity. God called him a mighty warrior. He took that name to heart and started to live out that name. What name is God giving you? What name is God giving Christ Church? Whatever it is, it's time to live out that name and act on God's call in our lives. And thirdly, Gideon marked his encounter by building an altar. How do we mark our decisions to do things his way? How are we going to go forward with that? The encounter between God and Gideon that we've looked at today 
marks a real turning point in Gideon's life. It marks the point that he turned from hiding in the winepress to building an altar to God out in the open. Can this be a turning point for us as well? It's time for us to accept the name God has given us, lay down our agendas, and to pick up God's agenda for us.